Hello, this is Shane, and you're very welcome to Heartlines. This week, I'm glad to be back again with another very special guest. This week, my very special guest is a former racing driver, has driven as a Formula 3 and Formula 1 driver. He hails from Dundalk, County Loud, via Florida, USA. It's the one and definitely only Tommy Byrne. Welcome to the show, Tommy. Thank you, Shane. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. No worries, Tommy. So Dundalk. So what was it like for you growing up in Dundalk, Tommy? I actually wasn't Dundalk. Dundalk was was considered the town. The townies came from Dundalk. And mm. I was way, way outside the town. Black Rock was like, I think, three okay. miles. Yeah. But when you're a kid, it seems like, you know, a hundred miles. Yeah. But yeah, we were just on the main road. Main uh, it was Old Gossings Road, uh, three miles uh, south of Dundalk. Uh, we were about probably a half a mile from the water, uh, from Black Rock Seaside. Yeah. And it was uh, it was good. I had a good I had a good childhood. Apart from the school, if it wasn't for school, I would love my childhood. Mm. And the school ruined it. I just I just could not do the schooling stuff. Like every I would be happy Friday at five o'clock. I was so happy because I'd be out of school. And then I'd start getting depressed around about halfway through Sunday because I had to go back on Monday. I wasn't great. I wasn't great at school. I didn't do the homework, didn't do what I was supposed to do. So basically I, I got beat most, most days or most other days. And I just want to be on the farm. I love, I love being on the farm since I was like seven or eight years of age. I um, I just hung out at the farms. I leave school at three o'clock and be at the farm at three or five. And then summertime, you go home at 11 o'clock at night. Uh, wintertime, you just, you know, that's just what I love. I love the tractors. I love watching all the stuff, the swearing and the beating of the poor cattle and, it was crazy, but um, I watched it all as a, little, as a kid. How did you move into kind of uh, driving, you know, karting or into, again, you eventually you moved into Formula Well, I remember tractor, the reason I went to the, the farm all the time was I got to drive the tractor, but mm. I didn't get to drive it all the time. I might get to drive it once a week, you know, we'd, I'd get on the, the tractor seat, it would be in first gear, going at zero miles an hour, and uh, the guys behind would be throwing out the turnips or whatever the case may be, and I'd get to drive. And um, that was it. I just loved anything on four wheels or even two wheels. Uh, that's kind of where the farming thing came from because it was in the winter time it was pretty miserable because it was cold. But um, that's kind of where I got the bug of driving. And then my friend was racing up and racing around Sanctuary in a old stock car, like a mini stock car. And I went with him, Tony Shockey was his name. I went with him to help out. Maybe it was 10 or 11 at the time. And that was it. Then I was, had the bug for cars. So I wasn't so much the farm anymore. Then anything to do with cars. I used to go up to Northern Ireland to to cross with Glen, South Armagh to work on cars up there, go home at two or three o'clock in the morning, back to Dundalk. And uh, I did that for years. We used to race up in Portadown, Nahadui. Uh, I was a mechanic, so I used to, he would wreck the car and I would weld it together again. We'd go back the following weekend. That's kind of where I got the bug of, for driving, but I was more into the mechanics of it. I never thought that I was going to be a driver. I always just, mm. I wanted to be a mechanic. That's what, you know, when you're a young kid growing up and, you know, what do you want to, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was a mechanic. There was, there was only one path for me. Yeah, but like, yeah, again, you, so you're more hands-on, so you like to fix cars or, or fix kind of machines and stuff like that. But like, how did you, you know, jumping in a fast car, you know, on a track and being able to control that? That takes a lot of skill. So where did that? Where did you hone that skill? Was there certain people in your early life that helped you hone that skill? I did. Um, I learned. I I never drove go karts. I think the first thing would have been driving cars in the fields mm. with my friends. 
we had cars in the fields and we were out there doing terribly dangerous things with these cars but and we go to stock car racing in the fields and watch them i took my parents car once around the field in a race racing it against all the other cars at that time and then my mom's car i just was nuts for speed uh, how did i get to the level of going racing it was very simple i was working as a panel beater i think i was 18 17 or 18 at the time and a friend of mine pat mcconnell who he was a big into cars as well he had like a capri a four three liter capri back in the day which was a huge fast car so i used to hang out with him a lot so he went to mandela park paid 15 euros or 15 pounds at the time pounds uh, for 15 laps and when he came back he said it was so much fun he had a great time and i said did you did you have to show your license because i didn't have a driver's license and he said no just pay the 15 euro 15 pounds and got up and did it and that was it so i did the same thing i got a lift i didn't have a car at the time i got a lift up there but i remember i watched grand prix the, the movie probably not too long before that in 1975 i watched it and i remember the cars used to be going to mandela and my mom worked in the fairways hotel which is just across the road from our house and there was cars always sitting outside there like on trailers so i sat them on one day and it was a Crosley formula ford 1600 and i just thought i was a, i felt like a formula one driver after watching the grand prix and then i went to the school and i did 15 laps and it was raining and i spun as you said how do you know your limits mm. well you don't mm. i spun seven times out of the 15 laps which was a reference student uh, but i kept going and and that day when i went home and i left the track and went home I just couldn't sleep until I became a race car driver. That's when I decided instead of being a mechanic, I'll just be a race car driver instead. Yeah. In my mind. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because like, you know, you know, I don't know what the what lay of the land was. I know if you're doing race car and driving, you know, it'd be like a passion initially, but like you need good investments. So did you have any investment at the time or, or how did you get no. um how did you get your investment? Because like it just costs a lot of money to get, you know, cars on tracks and nothing. You know, Nothing. As soon as I came home, um, I decided, okay, I'm going to be a race car driver, but I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to go to driving schools. I'm just going to get a car. So I think the first car we got was 1,250 pounds, and it was a Crosby 16F, which you may not know what it is, but racing people probably know. Mm. And uh, and I think we borrowed the money. I talked my mom into borrowing the money from some somebody somewhere. Don't I can't remember at the time. And all I ever did was crash the car. I crashed it every time I went to Mandela, which was only at the time, 1976, probably six, seven times. And then I went to Kyrgyzstan as well. But I just crashed the car constantly. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just driving the crap out of it. But in my mind, I just thought I was the best driver ever. And don't know why. My mom didn't drive at the time. She, she, didn't, re she didn't learn how to drive till she was 40. My dad never drove at all, ever. Mm. So where I got all that stuff from, I have no idea what made me think that I was different than anybody else. And um, the reason that I thought I could be a race car driver and go to England was because David Kennedy and Derek Daly at that time went to England. They were doing very well. And I would read the magazines. I started getting autosport magazine. I started reading it. And that's how I knew it could be done because if they could do it, then of course I could do it. And that's kind of how that happened. But every time I got in the car, I would crash or I'd very seldom finish, but I was fast enough that people were watching. And um, and I had a lot of friends and people. I had no road car, no trailer, borrowed borrowed money for the race car. And just my friends helped me. Tony Sharkey, um, uh, Morris Ruddy. Morris was a huge, huge help. Everybody helped. And if the car broke down, I needed money to fix it. It was just a whip round, and I 
did it. I don't know how I did it. I could never do it again. Mm. But I got to that level of, you know, staying on the track long enough to win a race. I eventually won a race um, in Ireland with a brand new car that we borrowed £4,500 for. And because that's what you had, I always figured you had to win to move on. And um, I bought a car that was called a PRS, an English manufacturer. Bernard Devaney was driving in PRS at the time, and he was moving on to a different class, Formula 3, I think. And he put the word to the owner of PRS to, hey, that Tommy guy is fast, try him. And I ended up going to England the very first year, going to England professionally as a driver uh, for free. I never had to pay anything. Mm. They, they actually paid me, I think they paid me 40 or 50 a week, dollars or whatever it was. And they gave you digs and all, they gave you a place to stay and all that? They helped me. Uh, they put me in touch with uh, actually a family that helped me a lot over there, Roy Camp. Roy and Lynn Camp, I stayed with them a lot. They were older and uh, he helped sponsor a little bit. Steve Hallman was the owner of the company and he tried to put me in the right direction as much as he could, like working out. We did a lot of squash. He taught me how to dress properly, bought me clothes. No, I mean, it was, it doesn't happen that often that yeah. you get that chance. Full work drive. First year I went to, into professional racing in 1979. Mm. And I, um, I must have done 30 races and about 50 test sessions my first year. That's a lot of driving for a young, for a, well, I was at the time, I was probably 20, 21, yeah. I think 20. And uh, I learned tracks all over Europe. I went to Nuremberg Ring. I went to Hockenheim. Germany, I went to uh, Zola, Belgium, uh, Italy, I went all over Europe and England and all the tracks in England. I crashed about probably 50% of the time, which is not bad considering it's your first year racing. We're talking about 20 kids at Hockenheim, 150 miles, 140 miles now in Formula Fords, all dicing together and hitting mm -hmm. wheels. And it was just crazy stuff. It was the best racing I've ever had. But that first year was 1979. and. Uh, I learned that was my learning year in, in England. And when you're doing that kind of level of of, uh, of racing, why are the engines similar? You know, like in Formula yes. One, uh, yeah, they're all very yeah. similar. Yeah, engines are when, when you're starting off like that. Engines are all about, about within one horsepower. Yeah, the cars were different. There was Van Diemen's, there was PRS, there was Hawk. There was like four or five different manufacturers, and they used to sell up to a hundred cars per year per company. So those manufacturers needed fast drivers. So uh, that's why I got to drive because they would sell cars out of it. Yeah. So they were making money. It wasn't just because, oh, you know, we like Tommy. He's such a nice guy. Let's give him a drive. It's a business. And then the next year after 79, I left that team because the car wasn't quick enough. And then I went to another team, which wasn't fully funded. I was my own mechanic with Ralph Fairman Van Diemen. I was, uh, I had a, I got a free engine and a free car from Ralph gave me the, Van Diemen gave me the free car, Auriga gave me a free engine, and then mm. I got my friend, friends to help me, and we went racing, and we won two championships uh, that year. And then now I'm learning about now what makes a car work and why the car does certain things uh, to go faster. Now I'm getting with the right people that are teaching me this type of stuff, and now it's coming down to experience. Yeah, Ralph Irwin is, is a junior now. He's, 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 yeah. he's riding a race at the moment himself. Junior was one to Formula One. He drove with Jordan. I used yeah. to take Junior and his and his sister, and Natasha. I used to take them to school. Mm. Um, I I lived with the Fermans for like, well, for years. Uh, Angie Ferm was my friend, my best friend for years and years. And uh, 
Yeah, Rafi, Ralph was, Ralph Furman was the guy that brought all the fast drivers from Brazil or anybody that was fast. He usually got hold of them because he was very good at picking fast drivers. Yeah, but when you say fast, I mean like any profession that's fast and then it's controlled. So you need a balance, you know, you know, you need, you need to be fast. We need to be able to control the car as well. So it was there, what, what did you look for that when they're looking for a racing driver? They want the fastest driver possible. They, um, they want to, they don't want to see crash. They don't want crashes, especially today. Mm. Uh, you can't crash, but you have to learn your craft. Yeah. So where are you going to learn your, I would rather find a driver that was so fast my job was to slow him down to stop crashing, then find a driver that needs to pick up half a second and try and teach him how to go faster. It's a lot easier to slow somebody down. So I would go for, I would definitely go for the, the fast driver and try to control him. But they're hard to find. Mm. I, thought, I thought they were all over the, I thought when I came to America at first, I thought everybody could drive as quick as me. And I just got lucky. And mm. it turns out in 25 years of teaching, I've found very few really, really good drivers, maybe one or two in 25 years. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a rare thing. That's why it's a rare thing for yourself that you got to that level. You got to the testing car in Formula One. So you went from, you know, Mondello Park or up in the north there, and then you were coming, competing with the best in the business or what were what, what perceived the best in the business at that time. So how did that feel? How did it feel? Was there, was there a goal? Was there like a life goal to be in Formula One? Or it was it was a pipe dream, and then it became a reality. Like, whoa, I'm here. It was just I never see one of my problems in in racing was I never had any heroes in Formula One or racing. I just started in seven, 1976, mm. so I didn't grow up like somebody somebody kids today. Their dad raced, and they're going to be race car drivers, or they watch it all the time. I never watched Formula One until 1976. The next thing is I'm driving a Formula Ford car, and five years later I'm driving a Formula One car. So I didn't have that. Uh, that passion that, oh, I want to be like Jackie Stewart or I want to be like Jim Clark because I didn't know, I, I didn't know mm. who to wear. I just, I was doing, I just thought, hey, I'm going to be a race car driver because um, I know I'm the best driver in the world. How, I don't know how I knew that, but I, yeah. that's what I was thinking to myself at the time. And, um, and that'd be a great way to, you know, be a great way to make money. If I get into Formula One, fine. And if not, fine too. But yeah, but the goal is always to get to Formula One because you're doing the Formula Ford. I won the two Formula Ford championships. Then I won the two Formula Ford 2000 championships, the European and British. Then I won the British Formula 3 championships. So that is the way to Formula 1. Yeah. And then you can either do Formula 2 or get straight into, into Formula 1. I happened to go straight to Formula 1 because Sidney Taylor, the Irish guy who helps a lot of drivers, he offered me to drive in the Theodore after I won a Formula 3 race in the British Grand Prix. And he just came up and offered. That's how I got that deal. And it was only for, I think, five races was the end of the, the end of the year. Yeah, but at least to get to get that experience is something. And what was that like? I mean, because like you were racing, I say Formula Three. You're you're traveling around Europe, around the world, and you're competing at that level. And then you went to Formula One. Did you notice a, a pressure or more eyes watching you? Kind of going, this this guy's supposed to be the new kid in the block, and and everyone's kind of going, you know, watching you, you know, perform and seeing if you can step up to that level. You know. Well, here's the. Here's a problem. To win all those championships I won, you have to be with, uh, you have to have people who believe in you mm. to give you the best. You, the driver can only do what he's given. Yeah, he might be able to go a couple of tenths quicker with a bad car, but if the car is really bad, he can't make it much quicker. You have to have help from your mechanics. Back in the day, it was mechanics. And uh, 
when I got to, I'm used to winning everything. So I won five championships, which very few people have ever won in a row like that. I think Senna did the same. Mm. And then I won, I won a, another, another big race with his car. So that was a huge record to have. So you're used to winning all the time. Yeah. You're not used to being first, second, third, fourth, or fifth. Or you're used to being first. And if you don't win one week, you win the next. And you, you kind of get used to that over three years. That's what propels you forward because you're, People mm. love winners. Then you get into Formula One, which I did into a into a, a lower car. Back in the day, I think there was 22 cars started the race in Formula One in the world. 22 started. And I think there was 26 trying to qualify. So I was one of those cars that didn't qualify. So I didn't qualify for, uh, there was five races I did. I qualified two out of five and I qualified last. And to be honest, I wasn't sitting back there last thinking this is so much fun and I just can't believe I'm in Formula One. Because I knew that, wow, it's not the same. You know, yeah. you, you're a winner, and now you're a loser, and you treat it like you get treated like a loser, which I did. It didn't work out that way. Yeah. You have to get with the right people at the right time, and if you haven't got the right people behind you, it's very hard to. With a with a bad car, like well, it is, they're not bad cars. They're low budget teams. Yeah, I, I was with a low budget team, like maybe a million dollars a year team, and then McLaren were probably $50 million a year at the time. Yeah, no, I can imagine that. But also as well, just to get into there, I mean, and also as well, like you, it seemed that you have this kind of, you were just like very uh, focused on, on, on believing that you could be the best that you could be. But obviously people are telling you, you know, we, this is what this is on, this is what we have. You have to work with this and you have to work to that. So obviously that, that stifled you a little bit. Did you feel a bit stifled when you were working for these guys and you realized I'm not work, I'm not racing for McLaren. I'm racing race for theater. I don't have the, the yeah. economies of scale that McLaren would have had. No, I didn't. I, I only thought about that after the fact. The reason I won all those races was because I knew what I wanted yeah. and I got it and I won. Mm. Uh, but when I got to Formula One, I knew what I wanted. We could have done better, mm. but they weren't, they, they just weren't interested in winning. I, you know, they, um, they weren't even interested in getting better. Yeah. And, uh, it was just, um, it's just, you're on your own. You know, yeah. I was on my own um, and I didn't, I didn't handle it as good as I could have. And maybe in retrospect, I just should have sat back and, and finished last or maybe not qualified and just been happy and went home. But I was always trying to do better, which I always did. Like yeah. every great driver always tries, even Lewis Hamilton still trying to get the team to do better. And, um, but obviously it didn't work out for me. I, I, you know, I just came from Ireland. I was three years into, four years into it, yeah. and then you know, just I didn't learn the politics at that stage. Yeah, that's in it. retrospect, of course, just plenty. You know, you go back and go, hey, but um, usually I got everybody to do what I wanted to win, but this time it didn't work. So then I went back to Formula Three, and I won. You know, I got would try to qualify in I think Italy, Monza, and I I didn't qualify, so I get an airplane, fly home and win the race the next day at Silverstone in the Formula 3 car. So it wasn't like I lost my talent. I still say it's wrong, wrong place, wrong time. So yeah. no, I wasn't. Formula 1 for me was not. It was, uh, I wasn't jumping up now in excitement because I knew that, that it wasn't going to last long because when you're running last or trying to struggling with no money and come from no money, um, it wasn't going the right direction. Must have been a small bit of chip in, in, in some regards, but also as well, if you can't get what you want and you're very determined, you know, you kind of have to have a middle ground and maybe you're just kind of very focused on, yeah. on winning. Yeah, no, there was no, there was no middle ground for me. I just couldn't believe that they wouldn't, um, they just didn't listen. 
yeah. to what I had to say because I was a nobody in their mind. Mm. Mm. So that's all. I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. It's been a long time ago now. And of course, I moved on. Yeah. Uh, went back, won the Formula 3 Championship after winning, after missing five races, so mm. which has never been done. Um, and then I moved to, I did one more year in Europe, 1983, driving for Eddie Jordan in Formula 3. Uh, to try and win the European Formula 3 Championship. We ended up finishing fourth in that. And then I I always wanted to go to America. Since I was 15 years of age, my goal was to be in America. I was going to go as a welder um, because I, I learned how to weld when I was working as an apprentice. And, um, and then when the Formula 1 thing didn't work out, I went back to Formula 3 and we'd give it one more chance. That didn't work out. So, okay, I'm going to America. And uh, went over there. And drove for Ralph Froome and then Formula Ford again. Mm. So I went from Formula Ford to Formula Ford to Formula Three, Formula One, back to Formula Ford, which is you know unheard of. <laughs> and uh, to have Ralph win the championship over there, it was called the National Runoffs. And then I started in America, started again from Formula Ford and got all the way up to Indy Lights. Won ten Indy Light races, finished second in the championship two times, and um, never got to the Indy cars. And you know, just another. Just another career. So I had two careers. Yeah. But that's the level below, then, is it? The American Racing Series is the, yeah. is a level below IndyCar Racing, is it? Indy Lights is a level yeah. below oh, IndyCar. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, okay. I, won, I won a bunch of those races. I nearly won the championship two or three different times. And then, and then, and then I it was kind of coming to the end. I was getting a little bit older. It was getting harder. I always hung out as long as I could because one good deal you know one good drive you could make you know some good money remember i never worked in my life <laughs> so, so it was i was putting that off as much as i could and um, because when you're a race car driver it's not exactly like you're working you know you're getting paid you know to, to, it's a pretty good job but in the, in the very end i went to mexico and raced over there for a couple of years and got paid some decent money another two years gone so then that's when i decided that i tend to get a job mm. that's when i started teaching mm. 1994 and I called my friend Kevin Fish and I said, listen, I need to get out of Mexico. It's not working out good down here. And um, he said, well, come to the mid-Ohio school and then come work with us for a while. So I did. And um, I did that. And then I, I did ride and drives. We used to do work for car companies and go all over the country, 20, 30 ex-race car drivers. Um, I did all that. And I've been at mid-Ohio for 25 years. And then we got a, me and Dave Meehan, a friend of mine, we got a company called Diablo Drifter Driving Academy for teenage drivers we do um, we sell drift lifts and we teach i've been teaching teenagers for 20 years now defensive driving nothing to do with racing this teach like they, over here in america they get your license at 15 years of age mm. and the kids go out and a lot of them get killed because they're getting car accidents because they've got no real training and uh in europe you don't get your license till 18 or something and you have to go through a lot of a lot of training over here you get it really easy and it's hard to lose it so a lot of kids get killed so we've been doing that uh, i've been working with the kids for 20 years it's a really very satis satisfying you're speaking to the wrong man about driving as you said your parents didn't drive i don't drive either i don't know i'll tell you why because i was i was living away for a while outside of ireland and in or in outside of Dublin or outside of Ireland, the transport system, unless you're in like Dallas, Texas, or whatever, yeah, where yeah, yeah. You know, it's very vast and there's no, yeah. it's very big, you know. So you're not gonna you're gonna need a car. Whereas I don't drive. So you say defensive driving. So any any advice for someone who's learned to drive at this tender age of what, late thirties? Well, def defensive driving, just a simple thing. Like the first thing we would teach them is uh, how to sit behind the steering wheel, how yeah. far to sit behind it, mm. how, and how to hold it, and then how to set your mirrors. 
your rear view and your side view mirrors so as you eliminate your blind spots yeah. just little things like that is you know that's worth the money straight away yeah. for any kid before you even get on then we take them on then we take them out on the so a hand position and eyes teach them about looking forward look ahead then we take them out on the tracks we've got tracks with simulated lane changes with traffic lights and everything so it's pretty intensive and oh, yeah. three hours of driving uh, where we set up a wet driving with ice and stuff or like simulates ice and then we got the Diablo Drifter for sliding the car around, teaching how to get out of the slide. It's, uh, we have hundreds of letters back from parents and grandparents over the years. They remembered something yeah. to help save their lives. It, it's, it's, it's really cool. We could do with that over here, but we don't have four lane freeways. So maybe, <clears throat> maybe it's not as, as, as prevalent here, but still it would be nice to have I, that. Cause go out, when you go out on the road, for example, you know, go out on the road as a learner, you're panicking because you have to own the road. You have to be like, you have to be in control at all times whether you know like when you have to go out and take an indicate left or you have to stop for a car or you know all that kind of all the kind of politics you know all the i think i think it's why I, I talked to mondello about doing stuff they don't have it they have something there mm. but i don't think there's any really true england or ireland there's no true defensive driving i think it's because maybe they're better drivers in europe than they are in america anyhow or maybe they think they're better i don't know Okay. But I know that they don't. They do not have schools like that. Or they have them in Canada. They have them in America. But in Europe, they don't have defensive driving schools. I don't think. Yeah, well, not cool. Ireland and England because. And then I am, um, and of course now I get to I, I do private coaching mm. for for a team from Chicago, and mid uh, Midwest Eurosport Midwest Autosport, and I work for them. They got about ten drivers, so I go off on the weekends to different tracks around the country and look after them. Then I do private stuff on the side. And then I work for, I do the, the driving academy stuff. And then I still work at Mid-Ohio. So now I get to drive and I get to race again in vintage cars. Um, I drove James Higgins vintage car. I drove the James Hunt car, Mondello, a couple of years back. I drove LMP2 car for him last year, uh, three times. So I'm actually getting paid now to drive a coach and I get to drive as well. So now I'm having more fun driving than I've ever had. Yeah. You were saying, okay, you, you said a few minutes back, this isn't like a job kind of is it is a job but it's not like a normal nine to five so for example was there like intense fitness regime for you or did you have certain routines that you had to do to keep that or maybe what you did or did you have that metabolism you didn't need to go and train hard to hop in a car and go back in the day i mean i remember when i got the formula one i did some push-ups and i put in the i think the the daily express did a write-up of me and there's a picture of me doing push-ups well that's probably the first couple of push-ups i've ever done yeah. At that stage. Well, I was like 22, 23. I'm, I was pretty strong. Mm. The cars are very hard. The Formula One cars were definitely hard to drive. But the only way to get used to them is more driving. In those days, they didn't have the training. Schumacher didn't come in and start all the, the training. He brought fitness into Formula One, basically. Okay. And um, that wasn't in Formula One. Mario Andretti was in Formula One. Kiki Roseberg was smoking the cigarettes. Uh, that was at the time that there really wasn't training. Now, of course, you have to have training. And I do regret not not training more, not from so much for the car, for myself. Mm. I started mountain biking seven, eight years ago, and that's one of my biggest regrets. I didn't pick it up 20 years ago because that's what I love the most. Does it affect your body? Like as you, as you, as you get older, would, would that lack of training in your hate, in your heyday, like in your formula three days and formula one test days, has it affected you going forward? Cause you, like the speed you're going, your body is taking a lot of punishment. I imagine. <laughs> not really. I mean, some of when I drove the formula one for sure, um, 
tracks were different. The, the Dijon in France was, was a, I think it was left-hand turns instead of right-hand mostly. And it was hard in the neck. Mm. Remember, the, it's very hard to build up your neck without you go, go through the G-forces. Yeah. But it just takes some time. I remember uh, Derek Daly told me that it took him a year to get fully fit to drive Formula 1. Sander, when Sander went home in wintertime to take his break, you know, he took a break. And when he came back, it took him a while to get back up to it. And then people, then Schumacher comes along and now you, everybody, all those Formula 1 drivers are probably fitter than anybody. And I'm fitter now than I've been in a long, long time because I ride my bike at least four or five times a week. You know? but, it's, but now it's, it's a lot of fun. Driving for fun is something else. Yeah. When you're driving for a living, it's just not the same. Even though, yeah, it's not a nine to five job. I think the last I did nine to five, I was fifteen. No, I was, yeah, sixteen or so. Like when you were driving, did did you really want to make money, or did you want to did you, did you just want the fame and, and the and the glam? No. I know you, I know you had the glam. I know you liked to drink, and you and you know it was well publicized and all that about you know. You know, you're in your early twenties. You're gonna have fun. You're gonna enjoy your best life. But then again, you're a professional driver, so you kind of have to balance that out. So, why are you looking to be really super wealthy, or you just wants to win? Well, to win, you had to win to be the other. You had to win to get the money. Yeah. And basically, I was thinking more money than than fame. Yeah. Um, the fame thing didn't really didn't that, that didn't bother me at all. Mm. Um, but I wanted to get paid, and I had a big thing about. I would never drive for free. Okay. And all my years, I never drove for free, except one guy got me, some guy got me to drive for free I don't, 20 years ago, and it really pissed me off. Okay. She'll drive, right? Yeah, of course. She yeah, get paid yeah. to drive. Like, yeah. It's like asking somebody, mechanic, oh, can you fix my car for free? That's just the way it was. So, uh, no, for me, it was more, more the money, mm. not the fame. Mm. Okay. And I'll, you know, I mean, you've 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 done a fair bit of traveling. I mean, Mexico, your Mexico days were yeah, they were they were interesting. That was probably your, that was probably your was that was that your heyday of your party days? Would you say? I would say yeah. That was <laughs> yeah. the finish. That was the finish. When I did Formula One, I was fine. I wasn't. I wrote a book and just told what I did. Nobody would have known half the stuff I did if I didn't write the book. True. And a lot of people do the same thing. They're all out there mm. doing things that they wouldn't tell. I just told. I just told because I have a hard time telling a lie. Yeah. And, uh, okay. You know, it's just I wrote a book because people were t were spreading rumors about what I did all my life, what it was like, and I'm going. Wait a minute, I didn't do that, but I did this. Sometimes okay. it was worse. Sometimes it was not worse. So, um, but writing a book was a big. Writing the book's a big deal. That was a, an accomplishment more than some of the racing stuff I did because everybody told me, you really won't be, who's going to buy the book? Who will buy uh, your book, Tom? Uh, and that, that was told me by some of my friends. And then trying to get a publisher and then trying to get somebody to help you. Like Mark Hughes came up to help me in the end, but other guys, a lot of people turned it down. To get that done and up and running and published, that was huge. Mm. I mean, that was, and then it won an award in Ireland, which was, which was, crazy doing that was harder than doing that the racing is easy when, when you got a good car easy but trying to do something like a, a book and then the consequences after mm. after writing it you know it's like I, I i got a lot of anxiety since i wrote the book yeah because I, like i'm sure it was quite uh refreshing to talk about your life because you probably kept that bottled up for a long time you know because you only you know what 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 you've done in your life outside of the the seat, you know, outside of your driving world, and then when you talk, when you put it into ink or into into print, that's you're opening up a lot of wounds there, you know. You're oh yeah, it's yeah. Huge. yeah, absolutely. There's no question when you pull when you pull that trigger and huh? Because I sent some of it to some of my friends, and mm. my brother said, "No, keep me out of it." And then yeah. my son, it was 
it was definitely you know it changed things for me a lot yeah um but when it won the award and people started to come around my family started to come around again then it was it was better but i'm not too sure if i could do it i couldn't do it again because most of the time i was kind of trying to make it funny yeah uh, towards the end it's just you know how much more fun can you have <laughs> i you enjoyed writing the book I enjoyed your book. I really did. I read it years ago and I never thought I'd be speaking to you today. And that's, that's, yeah. that's the joy of podcasts in a sense. You can just reach out and you could have said, do you know what? Fuck off. You know, you're not going to speak to you. You know what I mean? And I respect the fact you, you've given me a bit of time, you know, and you like, well, I'm kind of coming to the end. I don't know anymore how many more times I can talk about my story, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I don't even know if I'm going to do it much anymore because I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, but I'm glad I'm, you know, I appreciate you asking me. I don't know. Um, no, I mean, like, is there a difference? Like, was there a different, is there a different mentality from all the experience of, of, of driving around, you know, on, the, on different continents? Is there a different mentality for European drivers versus American drivers? You know, like, one, yeah. like, are American drivers wanting NASCAR because they want to, like, you know, represent the family and go, I want to be a NASCAR driver? Or are Europeans want to be more Formula One or Formula Three drivers? Usually, Europeans are, usually they're heading towards Formula One. If you're in the single seater mode, it's Formula One or nothing. Yeah. There's, there's only 20, 20 people in the world. So the chance of getting into Formula One are probably, you got a better chance of winning a lottery. Uh. Um, so very intense in, in Europe, heading for Formula One, really, really intense. A lot of, lot of politics. Uh, come to America, not quite as intense. And the driving, driving wise in Europe, they're really rough, rougher, dirtier drivers than they are in America, because when I can, when any European comes to America at first and races, we do, we drive the same as we do in Europe, which is blocking and doing whatever it takes to win. And over there, then you get in a lot of trouble because then you get disqualified and you get, you know, you get, you can't do that stuff over in America. So yeah. you kind of lose time. So I, I lost some time when I came to America because you can't, you can't do half the stuff you were used to doing in Europe because Europe is so much more intense. Like you, like if you were, if you were to, if you, if I was to give you a whole bag of money and I said, you know, Tommy, I want you to set up a race team. What like attributes would you look for more than just a talented or determined athlete or the driver? What would, what are the, what are the key uh, uh, tra traits, traits or aspects of, uh, of the driver you look for to be successful? You think? Um, he has to bring money. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's crazy, but unfortunately, yeah. that's the first thing when, because I get letters, I get people calling me all the time. Hey, my son wants to race. What do you think? Uh, I want to do something. I would like to drive in this. What do you, you know, what your advice? And the first mm. thing I said, how much money do you have? Or how much money does he have? It's just that simple. And that's where it goes. It's just, most people can't do what you said. You know, most teams starting up have to, they have to answer to a sponsor. They have to answer. The driver has to bring something, even though he might be two seconds off the pace. Uh, it's it's crazy because it's so money orientated. But as a driver, just find fast, fast driver. It's a, and and somebody who's consistently fast, who always stays the same, who doesn't change. You know, uh, from minute to minute or week to week. Uh, it's very tough. On, it's very hard on good drivers, like real real drivers, when you have other guys coming in and they they lose a second for no particular reason. And I just didn't believe in that until I started teaching. And yeah, it's out there because the great guys don't lose a second, don't lose half, they don't even lose a tenth of a second. They're always great. That's what I, uh, that's what I would like, like to see starting off. Then after that, obviously 
you have to have the money to make it happen. And it's a lot of money these these days. Like I, I watch um I watch lots of Formula One. Uh, do you watch uh, that 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 that? Uh, yeah, this drive to survive. Yeah, do you enjoy it? Yeah, yeah, it's very yeah. good, very well done. I think it is. It really is. And do you know why I like it? Because you know you have the guys like Hamilton, Bottas, Verstappen, top of the grid sort of thing, always kind of competing. Yeah. I like the way they show you the the head to head competitions between the lower guys, the guys that, like yeah. you know looking for in, looking to get getting the points. I like that because oh, it's yeah. it's not focusing on these guys at the top because they're miles away, you know. And you can see the way some of those team managers how they act towards the drivers. Remember, the driver is nothing. He's only around for a couple of years. The teams are going to be around. That's what I learned. Yeah, the drivers are around for three or four years at their best. You know, maybe you might get a Hamilton or somebody that Schumacher will stay a lot longer. But uh, usually, like. No, five years really fast, but the teams are around for fifty years. Yeah. So the teams, the drivers are just they're just used to move on to win the championships. But the teams are always there. But they must, um, they must like they changed them out. I've seen I've seen a lot of changes in drivers over the last few years. It must be because that confidence goes. Because again, you're you're right. You, you are representing <laughs> your sponsors. If your confidence goes, you're not going to be in that like Red Bull seat anymore. You're going to probably drop down to well, the, the Red Bull. Are the, they're the actual toughest guys to try and keep a seat with. Because Max Verstappen is so fast, yeah, and the way his car handles, he likes the car like that. And then when the other guys come along, they just don't like that particular setup, but they're not going to change because uh, Verstappen likes it and he's fast, so you should be too. And um, but those guys, the twenty-one years of age, even though they've been racing for fifteen years, some of them, um, when they get in there and they they make a little mistake and they're they're told about it on the radio, they're told about it when they get out. The pressure for them is huge, and it must be very, very difficult for them to to get their head back around it again, when when Verstappen is two seconds lap faster at that. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. yeah. Now it, it's a really good, it's a really good documentary. I enjoy it just because it just looks from a, especially the Haas uh, technical director. He's he's mad. Oh, the guy's crazy, Gunter, isn't he? Gunter, he's crazy. Yeah. He just he is he is entertaining if nothing else. But I'm sure he. He's very well versed, but he just is so always up, <laughs> up to here. You know, it's just, his head is always, always all over the shop. You know. Well, the problem with Haas is they got really lucky. Their first year they got mm. into Formula One and they bought a car that was basically an old, like a an older version of a, of a Ferrari, and yeah. had a Ferrari engine. And they bought all those parts, which are really, really not supposed. To. You're supposed to build everything yourself, and um, and they did well. But you don't go into Formula One your first year and do well. So you can only go backwards which is where they're going yeah because red bull racing they you know, like i was watching the thing and they said that the guy who owns red bull you know the, the drinks company they're not yeah, an, yeah, they're yeah. not originally a racing company they've got jaguar for a pound or something like that and then yeah. they've invested a hundred million into yes. the actual company and then they're making yeah. a loss on the racing but they're making a profit in the, in the drink sales in the drinks yeah. yeah yeah it actually works i mean the formula one works for the mercedes and the ferrari and the red bull and the sponsorship does work, but you're talking about hundreds of millions. Has it changed over the years, though? Like the branding, like I mean, branding's always been there, but ha- has the emphasis changed to be more of a brand than just like an actual racing team? Do you think? I think whoever gives the money. Yeah. <laughs> so money that's, talks. That's, that's what it's going to be called. Yeah. 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 That's your brand. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Now, now I was you were saying about your like you, you've you've raced like Hockenheim and all these different tracks. What's your favorite track to race around you, the world? Nuremberg Ring. Nuremberg. 17, 76 turns. I think it's fifteen miles, seventy six turns. Mm. Now, I won there. I won my first race there in nineteen seventy nine in the Formula Ford sixteen hundred. It was just 
yeah. very exciting. When you get a track like that, then you realize why you love driving. Yeah. Because it's just crazy. It's so, so, so hard and so good. It always keeps you guessing. You're always kind of having to, you know, be, be you're just having fun. I mean, yeah. you're actually having fun at the same time because you got so many chances to make up time because of so many turns. So yeah. if, you're, if you're not great at one, well, you're going to make up another one. Because I, I won in the PRS, which was not the winningest car at the time. But um, yeah, Nuremberg wins. There's only one and only. And then in America, I guess, Monaco. I love Monaco. I did well there a couple of times. Um, Toronto's a good one. Another street court, Long Beach. Mm. I like that. I like all street courts. I like. Yeah, Long Beach. Yeah, because like we've, I've never actually been. I've never actually got to a Formula One or, or, or like um, one of those kind of high uh, octane meets. But I remember a few years ago, uh, Bavaria brought. Um, there was some sort of Bavaria uh, driving thing around the world, and they came to Dublin. I think Jensen Button was leading. Mm. Oh, and they're driving around Dublin, and the the, the, the reverberation of the sound of the car, man. Bouncing off the actual I think the noise, I think I think would it would have been revving to seventeen thousand revs. Mm. I drove a I drove a Benetton a couple of years ago and one of Schumacher's Benetton's over here in America in West Palm Beach. I was only I was changing gear at ten thousand revs, I think. I was looking at those lights yeah. and I wasn't even used to something revving so high. Like mm. ten thousand is a lot. That thing went to seventeen thousand. Jeez, what speed were you reaching? I think probably, well, I did nine laps. I was and uh, probably did like 170 or something. But um, it's just 1991. Uh, uh, I think Moreno, Roberto drove it and, and Schumacher drove I remember um, I was watching a documentary uh, released there by, by uh, you know, in Ireland. Um, and remember your mother said something, or you said it, but your mother said, she said, give up this nonsense. Is that not the most yeah. Irish thing an Irish mother could say? Yeah. Give up this nonsense. I'd, say, I'd be saying the same to, to my kids too. Do you? No, well, I don't really. <laughs> Colin, my 22-year-old, my he wants to be a musician. And he makes his own music and everything. Yeah, he's, yeah, talking yeah. About, he's talking about you know, being a musician. And, yeah. um, and of course, I know that that's about like saying you want to be a Formula One driver. Yeah. So I don't tell him. I I don't I don't I don't say I give it. I didn't say like my mom said. I don't say give up this. Year. I just don't say nothing. <laughs> but 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 his mother's all 100 percent behind him saying, "Oh yeah, go you yeah you 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 can do it." I just more realistic, man. Uh yeah yeah you've you've been there wore the t-shirt. Now so like the race is coming up very shortly. The Saudi Arabia race. Who are you backing? Formula One, come on! But you know, if, if Hamilton wins eight eight times, it's going to be harder for him to win. If he doesn't win it this time, mm. it'll be very hard to win eight championships because I think Red Bull are going to be getting better next year. Yeah. And um, but obviously, we've all kind of had enough of Mercedes and Hamilton winning everything. So I would like I'd like Max to win just yeah. for a change up. But at, at this stage, if Hamilton gets eight championships, good for him. Yeah. For seven starts on his first one, good for him. So I really, uh, that's kind of where I am. Mm. Yeah, no. I so, so I don't, I don't care. One of them, I'll be fine with. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. But, but, but I'm kind of leaning more towards Max. Okay, yeah, yeah. To make it a bit more fair, what he's won seven times a lot. I mean, like, yeah, with Schumacher, so really, yeah, it is, I say it is. I mean, to keep that level of motivation, because I mean, let's let's look at the teams. Like when you were racing, what how big was your how big was the team behind you? I don't know, fifteen people. Okay, how big how big is Hamilton's team? No, probably thousand. Yeah, you know what I mean. So he's like, there's a lot of uh, 
mouths that have to, have to be fed on that as well. Oh, so, like, it's, you know it's, what I mean? It's a big, yeah, there's so much money involved that, you know, it's, it's out of control. That's why the vent, when I go do my vintage stuff, it's just fun. Yeah. I work with people hanging out, having beers. When they're finished, and, you know, you sit at the track and have a beer. Yeah. When I was racing, as soon as I raced it over, I was out of, away from that track as fast as I could. Yeah. Yeah. And now I just hang out, hang out, have beers with my, with my older guys I'm teaching. <laughs> so what's the plan? What, what's the future plans? Are you sure you're, you're working away on your, your driving instructor or you're teaching? I'm, uh, this, I'm off. This is kind of my slow, slow time of the year. Okay. Uh, usually around about November, December, January. Um, I've got, I'm working at Daytona. I live here in Daytona and I'm actually working here at Daytona next weekend with a, I got two drivers there, driver coaching. And, and then I start work again at the end of January. I'm thinking of going to Ireland sometime in January if I can. So when you say you, you, you help, you work, you work with two drivers in Daytona. So what would you, what would you like, uh, like uh, teach them like to, to, to be doing, to be focusing on to. Well, one of the guys is 60 years of age and he wants to, he wants to be better. And okay. He's having a hard time. He's having a hard time getting better because he just has a hard time going faster. He wants to go faster. His goal mm. is to go better than he's done. Mm-hmm. So we got certain goals that we look for uh, and I'll tell him, what I think he needs to do, all I can do, and I drive his car too. I'll jump in, I'll do probably one session in the car to, to get some data. And uh, that's what he wants. I've only worked with him once so far and he's very successful. He won his, he won his race in Coda about a month ago. And his son is going to be driving, who's 22 years of age. And I'll just be basically making sure that he, uh, he's fast. This guy, yeah. the son is quick. So I'll just be making sure he's going the right direction and find out how much quicker he wants to go or does he. And, and just take it from there. You just have to ask them what their goals are, yeah. and just work with work with them. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah, so like you, you work towards their kind of brief, and they can to figure out like to make them a bit better than they are. This is all our. This is just hobbies. This is their hobbies. They're retired, and just racing for fun. That's good. Anyway, Tommy, it's been it's been great to chat to you. Just to get to know a bit more about a bit more about you know you actually talking to you like which was a really enjoyable to learn about your your life and learn a bit more about inside the kind of your 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 you know your racing life that you know you've talked about in, in the book i've read your book crashed and burned uh, i've seen your documentaries and but there's lots of articles about your life because you want people to know about it i know it, it would be hard it's hard for you to to you know when you put that out into the world but i hope you have that peace of mind that you know what's out there and you know that you know you most of the time it, it, it's positive yeah, you know? mm. yeah for you sure got, i mean you got a couple you got a couple of haters out there but that's just the way it's going to be you know yeah yeah but uh no but no it was, it was really good to talk to you and um well shane if i get over there i'll certainly give you a call if up in the dublin area do yeah pop up um if you're if you got coffee or whatever yeah definitely want to love to meet you in person we'll have a chat and um all right connect a little bit okay Thanks, Shane. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. Cheers, Tommy. Have a good one, yeah? Bye. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. 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 And that was Tommy Byrne, former professional motor racing driver with an interesting story of life. I'm glad he came on and shared a bit more about himself to the listeners. Now, I'm always on the lookout for interesting guests. Also, as this is my episode before Christmas, I just want to thank everyone who's tuned into the show throughout the year. I do hope you all have a lovely Christmas. I'm hoping to get another episode out for the new year. And as always, please like, share comment or share with a friend and remember you're always welcome here in heartlines i've been shane take it easy and bye bye